This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 115. And the quote of the day is from Norman Vincent Peale, who said, Change your thoughts, and you change your world. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And want to let everybody know that this Thursday, July 23rd, Daniel Glass and I are doing a free live Q&A. Ask me anything. Ask Daniel anything. And we can, we're going to talk about everything from technique to drum history to career advice or anything you want to want to talk to either one of us about. So that is this Thursday, July 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to register, head over to drummersresource.com forward slash Daniel Glass. And that's lowercase. Daniel Glass is lowercase. So drummersresource.com forward slash Daniel Glass for the live free Q&A. This session is brought to you by DW Drums. And as you know, I've been playing DW Drums for years and years. And the reason why is because not only do they make fantastic sounding drums here in the U.S., but they also support and foster drumming initiatives all over the world, much like this podcast. And I'm a really, really big fan of what they do for the drumming community. Be sure to check them out at dwdrums.com. The session is also brought to you by Drum Magazine. And if you're looking to play better fast, I suggest checking them out every single month. They not only have some great product reviews and in-depth interviews with different people, they also have some of the best educational information that you'll find on the net, like 43 shuffles that everyone should know. I didn't even know that there were 43 shuffles. And now you can also listen to the podcast, the Drummer's Resource Podcast on drummagazine.com, which is awesome. So check them out and subscribe today. Trust me, you will not be sorry. Check them out, drummagazine.com. Support for the podcast also comes from Evans Level 360 Drumheads, and drummers are talking about the Level 360 technological revolution in drumheads that allows for fast, precise tuning and perfect fit every time. Level 360 ensures balanced contact with the bearing edge every time for an incredible tuning rage. Check them out at evansdrumheads.com. The interview that I have today is the one and only Ralph Peterson, and I have been wanting to get Ralph on the podcast for a while. I've seen him play multiple times, and he is just an amazing, an amazing player. And he's also a student of Michael Carvin, who I had on the podcast as well. So it's cool to sort of see how Michael influenced his playing and now how Ralph has taken it and ran with it. So we're going to get right into this interview. He shares a ton of knowledge, not only about music, but about life and, and, and about philosophies and sort of taking control of your own career, which is awesome. So without further ado, Mr. Ralph Peterson. Ralph, how you doing, my man? Thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Nick, it's a pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I you know, it's I've always wanted to have you on the podcast because I've seen you play a few times. I uh I saw you play at PASIC. Man, this was it was a long time ago. I want to say it was like 2000. 13. No, 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 no. Well before. Oh, that. you're talking about that pacing. Yeah. What was that? 2003, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And maybe even before that. Yeah. I saw you play there and I saw you play at Steamers uh, a couple years ago in Anaheim with Joey DeFrancesco. Right. Right. So um, I actually came out that night for. Um, so I, I'm friends with the DeFrancescos and I cut a, a record with Johnny, the uh, mm-hmm. Joey's brother and everything. So I went out to see. So it's always, and I've watched a ton of your videos. And I've always, uh, I've always enjoyed your playing. I've always been inspired by your playing. And I've always, I always strive to, to uh, sort of try to play like you. And we're going to get all into that because there's a lot of questions that I have about your playing and how you developed it. Uh, but let's, let's go back. Let's get the backstory a little bit of, of just how you got into playing and letting the letting the audience know who you are and, and what you do. Okay. Well, where where do I begin? <laughs> Wherever you would like. Uh, I'm from a I'm from a small town outside of Atlantic City called Pleasantville, New Jersey. I'm familiar. But, but it's a powerful region with regard to drummers. Um, over a 15 or 20 year span within a uh within a 10 mile triangle 
this area of New Jersey produced Harvey Mason, Peter Erskine, and myself, and another guy who was better than all of us, a cat named Larry Good, hmm. who was kind of one of the predecessors of the high, deep-angled cymbal setup. Right. A la early Muzon. And uh, I'm actually just starting to uh, find some reconnection with him just on a human level. Right, it's right. Gonna, I'm looking forward to hearing from him soon just to tell him how much of an inspiration he was for me early on. Now, my father was a drummer. Mm-hmm. My uncle played drums in Oregon. <clears throat> and my grandfather played cymbals in the church. So drumming is as is a part of my DNA, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and music is on both sides of my family. Oh, uh, okay. So, you know, I was listening to a little of, a little of Rodney's podcast, and I remember getting that starter kit, but it, it put me in touch with how fortunate I was to be able to have a drum kit in the house from the moment of my conception. I mean, there are some pictures I'm going to email you that nice. you should maybe use uh, with a shot of me sitting on my sister's lap at like, I don't know, two years old with a pair of drumsticks, maybe younger. Wow. So <clears throat> drums have always been there. And, uh, you know, my, my sister's had a doo group it was supposed to be a cappella, but when I was around, it wasn't. And then uh, the usual high school garage bands. In fourth grade, I picked up trumpet. And uh, by the time I got to sixth grade, because <clears throat> drummers were a dime a dozen, and good drummers were a dime a dozen in my area. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but they needed trumpet players, so they made me an offer I couldn't refuse to, <laughs> to play trumpet in the high school band at seventh grade. You know, I right. mean, all the hot dogs you could eat, and, <laughs> you know, all the football games for free, and I noticed that the girls were shaped differently too. You know, right? <laughs> so there were several motivating factors that had nothing to do with music. Right. And I share that to say that it doesn't always matter what gets you in the door. Right. Right. <clears throat> you know, it's it's what it's what you do to stay that 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 matters most. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the typical um marching band trumpet, uh jazz band on drums in high school, gospel choir, that kind of thing. Um and then I was accepted to Rutgers in my junior year in high school on academics, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but failed the percussion audition as a freshman because Michael Carvin wouldn't allow me to study with him because I didn't know any rudiment. <laughs> that's his. That's his deal. Because I've had the pleasure of interviewing him, which was which is amazing, and I'll link to that. Uh, to that interview in the show notes, but you know, and he told me you couldn't get it. You can't get in a college level English course without knowing the 26 letters of the alphabet. So go learn the alphabet of the instrument of the language of the instrument you want to play mm-hmm. and come back and see me. And so I did. And, um, you know, by the end of my college career, I was effectively his TA. When he was out of town, I covered a lot of the lessons, especially for younger guys. Oh, okay. Because I learned the system. Mm -hmm. And uh, his system is a big part of what I teach. And I've tried to, because he encouraged me to to seek my own personality, but to do it by knowing that that I'm connected to something bigger than me, you know, and something Mm -hmm. for me. And so, you know, we're 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 in an interesting state in the music today, 
as I work in coming to my 14th year as full professor at Berkeley and my 28th year, no, my 29th year of teaching on the collegiate level, um, I find an interesting set of circumstances where we've lost the balance between uh, encouraging originality but having a sense of being connected to the history of the music. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the sadness (laughs) of the state of the industry, uh, both art-wise and business-wise, I believe is because it's not connected to anything. Everybody's trying to be original and trying to act as if they're not connected to anything. Right. You know, and no culture moves forward without knowledge of its history. Mm -hmm. Period. Mm -hmm. And create, I I agree with, you know, I agree that creativity is good. uh, But, you know, it's like the old saying, you can't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. And how do you know if it's new? If you haven't <laughs> right. studied anything, you might, you know, I mean, even a broke watch is correct twice a day. Right, right. You bump into something accidentally, think you invented it and find out that it would play, you know, 60 years ago. Sure. By cats who didn't have electric instruments at all. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, and that discovery is ongoing. I think as young players mature and they're into their 12th or 13th minute of fame, they begin to see (laughs) the light at the end of the tunnel and realize it's an Amtrak train. Right. They start to look for more in their music. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, why do you think why do you think there is such a disconnect now versus thirty years ago? Because in a lot of ways, you have the blind leading the blind in the dark with blindfolds and a hoodie on. Right. Meaning, youth is great. You know, I'm fifty three years old now, and if I had the energy to do half of the shit that I think of now, <laughs> it'd be dangerous. Right. Um, but youth and talent alone is not enough. It's a glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. Skilled people aren't born with their skills. And so skills have to be developed over time. And part of developing skill sets is understanding the skill sets of the people that came before you. Sure. You know, that goes not only in music, but in A&R and production. So we have the record labels inhaling each other one by one until there's only going to be, you know, one label left. Mm-hmm. And the A&R people are getting younger and younger and connected to less and less. And so their job is to bring a new face and redefine a given label or a musical entity or festival. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so they want to take credit for the discovery. N- not understanding that music is part of a continuum and the guys who are most equipped let me put it this way the guys who are most equipped to carry the music really forward meaningfully Mm -hmm. are the guys most overlooked in the industry these days sure and that's the that's the mid 40s to 60 year old guys there are no there is no more apprenticeship system well not totally. Right. But compared to what it used to be when I was lucky enough to catch the tail end of it, it has vastly changed. Now, well, I th- part, of, part of it is that it's moved into the institution. Mm-hmm. 
But the other hand, uh, these kids come to college and think that because they paid the tuition that they're entitled to certain information and certain accolades and certain recognition where, you know, back in the day, all you were really entitled to was an ass whooping. <laughs> you know, and it was served out regularly. Uh, when I was in college, both in school and on the gig. Right. You know, and so part of the, part of that circumstances is that colleges are focused on numbers. Right. They need numbers. They need bodies. Okay. And so this, the standard gets lowered so that the numbers can be raised so that the teachers union can be happy about the professors getting paid the, the packages they deserve or, or should get along with the medical and dental. And so it's this situation where the college becomes afraid to tell students no mm -hmm. because they're afraid that the numbers will dip below a level where the part-timers can get enough hours right. they need. For me, I just stick to the truth in the music. And it's carried me a pretty good distance. Mm -hmm. On a bachelor's degree, I haven't had to stack a whole bunch of letters behind my name because I went to the graduate school of the jazz messengers and the, you know the college, <laughs> the college of Betty Carter and you know right. Still under the tutelage of people like Benny Golson, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, for me, I've always sought out to play with players that were better than me or, you know, seek out teachers who, who challenged me. And I think that I was, I was lucky enough to sort of fall into like the, the De Francesco fold. And I've cited them numerous times that like, I would not be the musician that I am, nor have the understanding of music that I have had it not been for these guys kicking my ass on stage and yeah. kicking my ass in the studio. And, and they're older than me, you know, but I had the, I was fortunate enough to do that. But there's a lot of people that are my age. I'm 34. There's a lot of people my age that didn't get that. And so I agree with you that there's not like this mentorship or apprenticeship sort of vibe anymore, unless, you know, you, you really seek it out. And I sought it out, but you have to seek it out and it does exist. It's just not, it's not championed. It's not heralded. Right. For Years ago, that was just what be. you did. Yeah, it, it it should be. You know, now competitions are how you get to the top of the heap. Right. You know, and competitions are a moment or a series of moments in a given week that determine whether you can make a record. Most musicians, most people who dream of being musicians and pursue their instruments for long enough to get to a point where they have realistic aspirations about making a recording can make one record. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm basically saying anybody can make a record. No, I got you. Yeah. You know, my next record as a leader will be my 19th. Wow. That's impressive. And, uh, will be the fifth on my own label. Hmm. Honest Productions music label. So I've tried to evolve with the game in order to remain relevant. Right. At 53. Sure. You I know, I, I got, there's a lot of young players behind me um, who I'm very proud to say have studied with. Mm -hmm. That's like E.J. Strickland and, and and Rodney Green and Justin Faulkner and Tyshawn mm -hmm. Sorry and Mark Whitfield and Ari Honig and Jonathan Blake and Vince Ector. I mean, these cats are the cats in New yeah. York now at yeah. the top of their game. 
Man, I saw I sat in on a session of Justin Faulkner recording. Um, are you from? Do you know Glenn Farrakhone? No, uh, he records uh, outside of the Philadelphia area, and mm-hmm. and Justin Faulkner was there playing. I forget who, what maybe the Lee Smith record or okay, um, yeah. But man, he is a monster. He's a beast. Yeah, you know, and and I remember our first lesson. Um, you know, Branford basically sent him to Berkeley and said, find Ralph Peterson. And so when we got in the room, and, and you know this about me, when we do lessons, I sit down with my trumpet and uh, play tunes. And that's like, that's how I do my assessment. Right. <laughs> oh, it's like an examination <laughs> yeah. of what's, what's necessary. You know, and... and uh, it was clear to me after calling a couple of tunes that what Justin needed is knowledge about repertoire. Mm-hmm. That he could play and he could play anything he hear, he heard, and he could play anything he wanted, but that he actually hadn't heard enough music. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And I only had to say it to him once, and that was the beauty part of it, was that I didn't have to go 10 rounds week in and week out. Right. And Mark Whitfield is another prime example. You know, to me, every bit the beast that Justin is, is Mark Whitfield Jr. Hmm. You know, and a lot of people sleep on him. So, so much so that, like, you know, I was on Sean Jones first. Sean is a student of mine, for that matter. I mean, you know, Sean, who's now <laughs> helping me build my trumpet chops back because I had an attack of Bell's palsy, mm-hmm. is the chair of the brass department at Berkeley. But when we met, I was a professor at Rutgers, and he was in he was in graduate school working on his master's in my ensembles and stuff. Oh, wow. So the Duality Perspective CD, which was made about 12 years after that band was put together, is the expression of you know, my relationship during that period with Sean, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. so I've been fortunate enough to have impact on musicians that are making a difference in a meaningful way, which kind of validates, you know, the approach that I believe in. And because I believe in it, I don't really require anybody's validation. <laughs> the truth don't need defending. Exactly. Exactly. So now is that the is that the driving force behind the record label? The driving force behind the record label is freedom. Mm-hmm. That's the driving is, force of life, isn't it? Well, I don't know, but freedom ain't free. No, it's not. You know, freedom costs. And so I'm talking about artistic freedom and the ability to I remember when I recorded The Art of War uh, for Crisscross Cross Records. I mm-hmm. literally had to go to the mattresses with the owner of the record label, Jerry Teakins, because he didn't know who Jeremy Pelt was and hadn't heard Jimmy Green yet. Mm-hmm. You know, And so when I formed my own record label, I was about to have the same argument with him over Sean. And I realized that maybe if I stopped banging my head up against that particular wall, that that headache would go away. Right. Now, that decision is easier to make than it is to live by. Sure. You know what I mean? Because anybody can have a bright idea, but it takes courage and ingenuity. And I had, uh, at that point, was involved with uh, a symbol company that actually... Uh, in this, in this, in the form that it was when I was involved with it, doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, I had some royalties for, from symbols sales, and that fed the financing of the record label. Right, and it still does. I'm I'm a ecstatic to be uh, a part of the Minel family now. Mm-hmm. Who was it before, Bosphorus? It was Bosphorus before, it was mm-hmm. Sabian before that. Okay. And uh, so I've had signature symbols with Sabian, Bosphorus, and now Mino I have two. 
a 22 and a 21, the symmetry and the nuance rides. Oh, and, nice. um, they're doing great. They were just released at NAM this year. I'm going to sneeze soon. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I can't make it go. Maybe you can bleep it out when it finally comes. Anyway, um, I just played the Minor Drum Festival in Germany, and it was amazing um, to be there with another student of mine, Matt Gartska, mm-hmm. Animals as Leaders. I mean, you know, Matt's a perfect example of somebody taking the kind of stuff that I try to offer and going in the direction of one's own with it. Right. Which is exactly what I encourage, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and and I certainly encourage individuality, but individuality-based, knowledge-based, you know, right. individuality, not talent-based individuality. Sure, sure. Um, and so uh, being there with Benny Greb and Matt and Spud and, you know, couple of rock cats from East Germany that I just met. And it was just amazing um, uh, to represent acoustic music and, and this music we call jazz in such a high profile uh, stage. Mm-hmm. It hadn't been done before. And so I played with a couple of minus drum recordings some that I had made, some are some tracks from Chris McBride's Parker's Mood and Finger Painting, the, the drumless records with mm-hmm. Roy and Nick Payton and, and uh, Stephen Scott and, and Mark Whitfield Sr. So, and I did it, you know, just with monitors without a click track. Right. And some of the stuff I played from my tracks, from Fotet stuff, had trading in it without a click mm. and so doing that without a click and without a headphones kind of freaked these guys out they, right. could, they couldn't <laughs> understand how it was i was pulling that shit off they were like looking you know how when you see a magi- magician you look for where try to find out where, where the rope is, where the, rope is. <laughs> yeah, where, the, where the fish line is right? right so i mean but it was a it was an amazing hang too right you know, everything from drums to golf. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I got clubs and I like to hit the ball, but I don't know if you can do what I call what I actually do playing golf yet. Yeah, you, nobody, you don't want to see me on the golf course. Well, then we should play together. We then. should. Me, you, and Mike. I'm not we'll get... with anybody that's good. I don't get down with anybody. Well, 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 Michael, he golfs too, doesn't he? Who? Michael Carvin. Oh, Michael's a serious golf. I would yeah, never, he's, he's good, right? I would never golf. With I don't him. want to he's play good. with him. No, no, no. He's All right, you good. and I can go out together. We'll yeah, balance yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah, you know, we just, you know, have people have to put on pads and a helmet to be in front of them. <laughs> right. Dangerous, you know? Now, yeah. I, I want to I wanna switch gears a little bit. Um, now, you had mentioned, you know, how Matt's a student of yours and, and, and how you do teach. And there's one thing that, that I heard you mention in a video and you talk about parallel motion and oblique motion. Mm. And I, I, can you, can you sort of unpack that a little bit and dig and dig into that and, and sort of explain it to the listeners? Because I thought it was, it was fascinating, but in the video, you don't go into too much detail about the, the physical aspects of it. Can you talk about that? Well, I can uh, briefly. I mean, it is simply applying concepts of music. To mm-hmm. aspects of drumming, okay, that don't have to do with drums. Right. So, so I learned four part writing in high school. Mm-hmm. That's where I learned about parallel motion and contrary motion and oblique motion. Learning Bach chorales, okay, mm-hmm. and. One of my mantras. One of the things I believe most strongly in is that the more music you know, the more musically you can play. Mm-hmm. And as a drummer, if you don't know music, then your drumming is reduced to mathematics and velocity. Right. Which is impressive for a while but loses its sense of suspense and drama 
in a very short period. When you're dealing with the, all of the principles of music, timbre, pitch, uh, drama, humor, um, four-part writing. So even, even terminology, even nomenclature. Um, so parallel motion came to me when I was studying the ritual because I'm, I'm one of the few drummers in my generation that didn't study with Alan. Oh, really? Okay. I went to Rutgers. Mm-hmm. And I studied with Tabo. I studied with Carvin. And I took it upon myself. Um, Terry Lynn and I hung out. One time we was in New York just hanging. And so I asked her, what is this ritual thing? Tell me about it. And so she started running through it. And I was like, okay, there's samba bass drum. And then there's a bunch of rudiments. And she seems to have them memorized in a certain sequence. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, some years went by. Now, just I, don't, just I just want to interject real quick for the listeners that don't know what Ralph is talking about. It's the rudimental ritual. It's the Alan Dawson rudiment, rudimental ritual. Um, and I'll post some links. Bar, 400 bar, 86 rudiment exercise, which is the cornerstone of the book. The complete drummer's vocabulary is taught by Alan Dawson, which is written by John Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there. So I didn't want to interrupt you, but I just wanted to make sure that the listeners no, knew cool. exactly it's what we were talking cool. about. So, um, so uh, years later, while I was at Rutgers, and when it became clear to me that Rutgers wasn't interested in making jazz drums a full-time position, okay, much mm-hmm. to my dismay, I was Jersey-born, Jersey-raised, Jersey-educated, yet there was no future at Rutgers for me as a full-time professor there after after six or seven years. Right. They made it clear, and I had to either build a bridge and get over it or <laughs> open my spirit up to what's next. Right. And the courage to look, to be prepared. You know, because luck is when preparation and opportunity intersect. Mm-hmm. I had to have... I had to be willing to start to prepare myself for the next opportunity. Right. Uh, One of the last jazz at Lincoln Center concerts before the new venue was opened was a tribute to Art Blakey uh, with Curtis Lundy and, I mean, Curtis, I'm sorry, Curtis Fuller and a bunch of uh, alumni, including Charles Fambro. Uh, and a big band, Bobby Watson, where we played, uh, you know, the music of the messengers and and recreated the two drummer thing, which was the opening for me to become a jazz messenger and did it with Hurl and Riley. And during that week of celebration, John Ramsey who is the only other living drummer to have played with Art Blakey as a jazz messenger and also served for years as the road manager, um, was at a panel discussion while I was at a rehearsal. He fell by the rehearsal and asked me very cryptically, so how's Ruckus treating you? Right. And I shot back, make me an offer. Uh-huh. I, I dare you. And funny thing was, you know, timing is everything. Sure. Because uh, two gentlemen at, at uh, on the faculty at Berkeley, one unfortunately passed away and the other one took early retirement. And so John gave me, gave me a heads up as to a full-time position that he thought would be created. So by the time they posted this position, I already had three resumes <laughs> in the pipeline at the school. Right, right. You know, and that was 14 years ago. Oh, know? wow. 
that was 14, 15 years ago when I applied. I've been at the school 14 years now. Hmm. And I came in for a professor. So um, the ritual thing, let me get back to that and the, and the motion thing, came out of me studying the ritual in preparation to teach at Berkeley. Right. And one of the things I discovered was that it had to move for it to be played in what I call root position all the time couldn't have been the point of creating it. Right. And the moment I started moving it, I started hearing I started hearing the whole history of the instrument. You yeah. know, Philly Joe. If hmm. you play, if you play uh, a different bass drum pattern and play less than twenty-five, you get a second line pattern. Um, if you parallel motion would be moving your hands equally around the drums, either clockwise or counterclockwise. Both playing the same drum. Both playing the same drum. Three-stroke rough or paradiddle or something like that. Uh, contrary motion would be your left hand constantly going to the small tom or left cymbal and your right hand constantly going to the floor tom or right cymbal, which will give, which will take a rudiment like the paradiddle and start to open it up. Mm -hmm. uh, when I finally crossed my hands and started playing paradiddles between the snare drum and the hi-hat, everything that Garibaldi was doing... It came was into like, focus. Yeah, like the sky opened up, you know? Right, right, right. It, much in the same way that when I discovered that that, that in order to develop uh, a well-balanced and swinging ride pattern, that the rudiment that I had to practice was paradiddle diddle, right hand lead, because the right hand of the right hand lead is you right. see? Mm -hmm. So looking at one side, looking at the other side. Can you do that again and, and separate the sound sources? Or like sure. Uh hold on a second. Let me get another sound. All right. That'll work. Uh, uh, I'm trying to find two different sounds. <laughs> there you go. All right, so paradiddle diddle. That's what's on the right side. Mm -hmm. So I would practice. A, a cat named Carl Atkins taught me that when I was at Rutgers. One of the baddest drummers you'll never hear of. From Newark, New, East Orange, New Jersey. Anyway, what's uh, the, I was just talking to. I just had lunch with Daniel Glass the other day, and we were talking about him. Carl Atkins was a bad motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, that's what Dan. He was <laughs> like, this dude is in. Doesn't he live in Florida now? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and Daniel said exactly the same thing. He was like, this dude was bad. He was yeah. the drummer at Rutgers when I came into school. Yeah, I should and interview so, him. Yeah. And so then, so then I started looking at the oblique motion, which was the answer I always got wrong on the theory test, you know. But by then, I, I had bought into the system because my notes had my my hands had become the notes. So what's the what's the oblique motion? We didn't we didn't touch. Oblique it. motion is when one note in the staff stays the same and another note moves. Oh, okay. That's always that one. Uh, that one in similar motion. Similar is when they move in the same direction, but not in the same interval. Okay. Right? And so I started thinking about the motion of the sound of rudiments. And I discovered that through various motions, I get different sounds. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered, you know, which led, which led me to the point of understanding that it, the memorization of rudiments is important only in so much as the sound that they can make for you. Mm -hmm. Not because it's some like 
totalitarian thing that each drummer must endure and go through. Right. There's actually value in it. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. and so... Uh, it's like the features versus benefits thing. So if you, you know... Sure, but it, it alone can does not a good drummer make. You got to right. know music. You got to right. know music back to... And like, you know, my big brother, Kenny Washington, was the prime example for me in that when I met him, he knew so much music already. You know, mm-hmm. and at that point... I was maybe 19, maybe he was 25, because I think he's about five years older than me, right? Right. And, uh, but he knew more music than somebody twice his age. Hmm. And, you know, pr- continuing to pursue my trumpet, what I discovered is that, um, and what I continue to work on, is to develop my musicianship by developing it totally. I got trumpet, a baby grand, two sets of drums, and a whole bunch of hand drums in my music room, you know? Nice. And so, uh, you know, one day it'll be piano, and one day it'll be the big kit, one day it'll be the small kit, because I just got this amazing eight, 16-inch bass drum constructed nice um out of a gorgeous mapex kit you know i've been with mapex 23 years man wow you know i don't think there's anybody with the company that's been there that long no everybody jumps everybody jumps and that's you know loyalty is a big part of what's wrong with the planet (laughs) you know not just the music but the planet sure And, you know, there's there's a lot of themes that, that run through not only drumming but through life. And you and I had touched on it um, off air about, you know, success and, and definitions of success. And you yourself have had have had multiple successes not only in the music industry. Um, you've also been very candid about uh, struggling with, with addiction, 19-plus years that you've been clean. So I applaud you for that and congratulate you for that. Thank you, man. It's not uh, my doing. All I did was, all I did was surrender <laughs> and admit to an ass whooping. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I don't know how much courage that takes, but, but I know I didn't do it alone, and I know that there has been purpose to my having survived it. Sure, I've, I've now become available to countless musicians who, because of the principle of anonymity, will remain nameless. But they know who they are, and I know who they are, and and not a semester goes by. You know, it's not something I hide. My recovery is not something I hide from my employer, and I haven't since the moment I was interested in teaching college, mm-hmm. because it became clear to me that I had to go through this fire in order to share the story of surviving it, which that had to be the value of it. Right. Which was the ability to share it. Mm-hmm. And not a semester goes by at Berkeley where I don't get a student who is struggling or, you know, quote, air quote, has a roommate, quote, unquote, who's right. struggling. Right, right, right. Or right. might have a parent who's struggling. Sure. And, um, you know, I've actually helped to build... Um, been part of a, a group of recovering people that's helped to build a community, a safe place for young developing musicians who are also struggling, you know, mm-hmm. with this beast, a, a fellowship, you know, right. for them to, to, to come and help to get better. Sure. So, you know, that 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 part of my life, is a complete and total success a day at a time. Right. You know? And now, is that your advice for for listeners who may be struggling as well? I don't give advice. No? I uh, make suggestions. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay? Mm -hmm. Um, And my suggestion is, I used to weigh 168 pounds soaking wet with three bricks in my pocket 
I will steal your money and help you look for it. Okay? And if it, if it worked for me, it can work for you. Whatever that it is, you have to reach out to me on Facebook or on my website. I'm not easy. I'm not hard to find. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there are, there's a certain amount of disclosure that I don't make publicly. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Now, and the reason why I brought this up, I, I think that you know this, but it, it was definitely not to demean, but, uh, but to share a bit of, of, of your story of, of strength and of, of success. Uh, of success, man. Listen, I don't, I don't hide the truths in my life, mm-hmm. especially the ones I've survived, because there wasn't no damn secret when I was struggling with them. Right. So why keep it a secret now? Right, right. Outside, right. Okay? Um, and, you know, so that, the record label... The non I run a nonprofit now. Mm-hmm. I run a nonprofit, a record label, a martial arts school, and and I'm a member of a fellowship and a fraternity for over twenty years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my life, the balance of my life is not success in my life is not defined by how often I play the vanguard or dizzies or Although playing the vanguard and dizzies is fun. Sure. What but is I, your definition of success? I love hearing this answer. The ability to live life on life terms. I like and, it. And the ability to be responsible for anything I choose, whether it's good for me or not good for me. And I've had to learn how to do both. Mm-hmm. You know? Um Independence is success. Freedom is success. Conviction is success. Being wrong and surviving it is success. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, you know, as I mentioned before we, before we got on the call, was that the, the, the point of this, of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, is to inspire, is to educate, is to motivate. And it's a community of drummers that... that I've always wanted to reach to just say, you know, you can divide, you can define your own success, whatever that is on your terms, happiness, success, whatever that is. And like you said, it's not, it's not necessarily this, this, uh, quantitative thing that, you know, it has to be how many times you've played at Madison square garden or how much yeah, money, yeah, yeah, money yeah. you have in your bank account. Not only, not only can you define your success, but your success is pretty meaningless until you define it yourself sure sure it becomes it becomes a a glass that can never be filled as long as you're looking at somebody else's glass to measure whether yours is full or not Mm -hmm. and a lot of people uh don't understand that right and you know um are running around in life seeking answers when they're asking the wrong question. Sure. It's the question, you know, I mean, I hate to quote, I'm a bit of a movie buff. I hate to quote the matrix, but it's the question that drives us. Mm -hmm. That's what they was trying to tell Neo in the movie. Right. Right. And, uh, uh, so I see questions now, not answers. Mm-hmm. Because questions, the right question can lead you to the right answer. Yeah, man. Better, better questions is better results, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to be able, I mean, to have a daughter that's 26 years old and coming into her fourth season as principal flautist in the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra, that's success. Right. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And although, you know, when I look at how often I called my mother and father when I was 20, between 24 and 26, the universe is just balancing itself now. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> she's very busy and I don't hear from her. Right. But like my mother, I know that if I don't hear from her, she's okay. Mm hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I lost my father last year, and that was tough. I'm sorry to hear that. But uh, thank you. I've been able to, you know, the guy 
in the family who nobody thought would live till 40 is now the clearest head in on the scene. Right. And the most stable. You know, I own a home. I've been married for going on seven years now to a wonderful woman. We got, you know, we got... We have all the outer trappings. I have all the outer trappings, but the stuff that I do, like what I got to get out of here, I got to get out of here in a minute and go hand out karate uniforms to 27 kids between the ages of 5 and 11. So y'all got to pray for me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but that keeps me humble. Sure. It keeps me connected to the community. It helps to shine so that my life, if it gets no more successful than it is today, will be a source of inspiration for some kid in Dorchester who's never been out of the state. Right. Right. When they hear that I just got back from Paris Monday and that in three weeks I'll be leaving for my third trip to Europe. Mm -hmm. this summer, you know, and if, and, and if that, like, like your podcast, if, 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 if we can in, inspire and create hope, hope is a powerful thing, man. Yes, it is. Hope is a powerful thing. So I appreciate what you're doing, man. I'm glad you asked me to be a part of it. Well, I appreciate you we saying that and being a part can't, of it. Because we can't get to it. It's one of them things where you can't get to it all in one time. You know, I, I was just thinking I could sit here and talk to you for, for hours, and but I want to respect your time. I know that you have to go, so I'll, I'll get you off the call. Just one last question. Uh, if people want to study with you or, or get in touch with you or, or reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Ralph Peterson Jr. at Facebook, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ralph Peterson Music dot com www.ralphpetersonmusic.com and uh r peterson at berkeley.edu perfect is my e- is 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 my berkeley email awesome and i like i said everything and that I we do talked skype about lessons oh do you i do do skype lessons so okay all right so this will all be in the show notes so the listeners know that they can just go to drummersresource.com and check it out. And Ralph, I want to thank you again. I want to applaud you for all of your success. I wish you all the success in the future. And again, man, thank you so much for doing this. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Look forward to talking to you again. Absolutely. Thanks again, Ralph. All right, Nick. Bye-bye. Take care. So there you have it, Mr. Ralph Peterson. And you can get all of the links to everything that we talked about in the show notes at drummersresource.com forward slash session 115. And don't forget, if you want to sign up and register for the free live Q&A that Daniel Glass and I are doing this Thursday, July 23rd, head over to drummersresource.com forward slash Daniel Glass, all lowercase. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.